G'day church. Welcome to everybody in the house and everybody online. After two years, I thought you knew your cue. That's your cue. We say hello online people. So cool. Hey, my name's Justin. I'm part of the team here at Werribee Baptist Church. And so are you. Congratulations. If you're new in the house, welcome. Welcome. I know we're a weird mob, but I hope we're okay. And uh, if the person next to you is weird, just turn to the person on the other side and uh, they're probably weirder. Uh, (laughs) How many people can honestly say uh, on this day, man, I'm glad that's done? 20... 23. You know, seasons are an interesting thing, and, and, and this series is called Time Out. And, you know, when, when I was playing basketball um, and I was, I was at training camp for the Chicago Bulls, <laughs> I just said, no, guys, look, I'm called to preaching. And they said, Jazz, but seriously, um, you know, Scotty and I could do with the help. And I said, no, no, I need to preach the gospel. You guys play basketball. Uh, when I was playing basketball in the under-14s at Currumburra Rec Centre, yes, that's how good I was. Uh, I could do a reverse layup. Come on. Yeah, that's, it doesn't matter. Uh, the coach would call a timeout at a very specific time in the game. The coach would call a timeout when you were messing it up really bad, the coach would just go, oh, um, time out. I've tried all the substitutions. I've tried all the game plays. I've tried everything. Let's just stop. Let's go to the bench for a while and let's talk it through, kiddos. And so we do that. Anybody else enjoy those moments in the game where you realised we're still going to lose, but not by as much because the coach has just killed two minutes on the clock? <laughs> I thought it was a pretty, a pretty wise call. But when we come to the end of a season of of a job or, you know, we've moved a country or we've moved a town or we've, we've, we've gotten married or there's been a birth or a death or something like that, we naturally take a time out and we reflect on what it was that just happened. There's this moment that we have where we stop and we think, what was all that about? And so we're going to take just a few minutes today to ask ourselves, what would it be like to serve a God who understood our rhythms, understood how we were wired, and understood that even even though he created us, he wants us to take time out each and every day to be with him, to understand what's going on. By the way, if you're new to the house and you don't know, you can get all of the notes on the Werribee Baptist Church app. You can uh, check us out on YouTube. Many of you are watching on YouTube right now, and of course, you can go to the website for more and more details. But we ask ourselves in these timeouts, we look back and often we ask a very negatively framed question. We ask this question, what was the point of all that anyway? What on earth did we just do? Did we actually achieve anything at all? And the writer of Ecclesiastes that introduces himself at the start, the Bible is full of incredible things. It's full of poetry and prophecy and history and revelation and, and, and incredible things. But there's this beautiful book kind of in the middle called Ecclesiastes. 
where a teacher, a professor, a philosopher steps forward and says, I, the teacher, am going to pose a few things for you to consider. This is not necessarily a book full of questions, any, a book full of answers, I should say. Many of you who have studied philosophy would understand that philosophy seems to have this cyclical thing where you ask a question that gets answered by another question that gets answered by another question that gets answered by another question. And so we feel like we're circling the mat all the time and never finding a place of comfort. And so the teacher presents us with a whole lot of philosophical questions and asks us at the end to answer them. This is what he says, what do workers gain? What do we actually gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Oh my goodness, hold on to that one. Hold on to that one. That's the promise right there. Any seed that's been planted, hold on to that promise. He has made everything beautiful in its time, his time, not your time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. In other words, that's why we continue to pursue eternity. That's why we continue to try and figure out how to live forever. That's why we try and continue to find this secret to eternal youth. We know it's not there, and yet we keep trying to find it. The reason is eternity is actually set in our hearts, and we need to answer that question in our lifetimes. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The philosopher goes on to say, I know, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Pretty straightforward, right? What's it all about? What's the point of all this? That's the point. There's nothing better than for you to be happy and to do good while you live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. And this is the gift of God. I know that everything, I know that everything that God does will endure forever. Oh my goodness, my work, there's lots of my work that I look at and think, what was the point of all that? Did that equal anything? And yet this scripture says to me that, that I'm supposed to find joy in my toil. I reckon I'm looking at a room full of people and talking down the barrel to some people that are saying, but pastor, I've done lots of toil and I've found very little joy. Very little joy. The point is this, we're trying to shape ourselves into the image that he has for us, not the one that the person next to us has for us. And so it's not necessarily about finding a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That's a lovely idea, but everybody I know that gets return on their work works really, really hard and some days doesn't like what they do. That's okay. All right, it's a nice little turn of phrase, but it's not necessarily a reality. So this is where having a faith in God really anchors us because I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. This is actually a beautiful thing. Jesus came to reconcile the created to the creator. We know that if nothing changes from beginning to end, if he set it all in motion and we can do nothing to change what he has set in place, I want you to know that that can help you relax. Because how many of us are wound up at the beginning of the day when you wake up and you think, I haven't fixed, I haven't done, I haven't, I haven't solved, I've, everybody needs me, whatever it is, there's stress as you wake up and you're hit with that in the face and you think this is all too hard and you go to bed at night and you can't shut your mind off because you're worried and you're stressing and anxiety is taking you over and yet our God says, don't, don't worry, I've got this in control. And for most of us listening right now, that is way too simple. 
That sounds way too simple, and it actually sounds like a little bit of scapegoating. But it's a promise that we have that he will give us peace that passes understanding. So, where do you look when you need to see? That's my question. Where do you look when you need to see? You see, in, uh, in Colossians 19, I've got it here. In Colossians 19, there's this beautiful moment where the writer says, For God was pleased to have, uh, to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, not just all people, but all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So if that's the promise that we have, we are the created, we have a creator, we are reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. If that's the promise that we have, that promise of peace, I challenge you to think about where it is you look when you need to see. Because anxiety is simply blindness. Worry is blindness. If Jesus Christ is the light and he came into the world and darkness has not prevailed, then everything on the other side of that is us being blind to Jesus' light. So where do you look when you want or need to see? I love this idea. Uh, I'm, I'm, of course, as you know, quite, a, quite an astrophysicist. Uh, I will be designing the next SpaceX rocket. I can make things explode just like them. That was low. But, 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 here's the thing, here's the thing. When it comes to the known universe, how much of it we know, and we know that we don't know all of the known knowns. We know that. There's more of it. We keep finding more. But of the stuff we do know, we think we have observed about 5% of it. So think about how big we think the universe is right now. We think we've observed 5% of that. 68% of that is dark energy and the rest is dark matter. What's the difference? Not really sure. Dark matter is the stuff that reflects light. The other stuff is the stuff that doesn't reflect light. So the dark matter is matter, but we can't prove it's matter. It's just not antimatter. And the dark energy is the other stuff. And I'm confused. But we know 5%. Five, 5%. 5% of what we can see, what we've observed. But we're talking about a God that created all of it, whether we've seen it or not seen it. So we should start to gain some comfort from our insignificant size, but our very significant role in his creation. It says this in 1 Corinthians, the Father sees all things. He sees all things. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. And now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What a wonderful thought. I am fully known. You're fully known. That's a beautiful promise. You see but a poor reflection in a mirror. You can't see the whole thing. And you know what, Christian? That's okay. In Matthew 11 and, and, and in Luke as well, it, it, it says this, the Father who knows all things, all things have been committed to me by my Father, says Jesus. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Both Matthew and Luke recorded those words, but Matthew went on and recorded these as, a, as, as like, a, like an addition, like an addendum, which really kind of helped me. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Because you're sitting there at night trying to figure out the other 95%. You're thinking, I can figure this out. Surely if, we, if I put my, you know, if I Google it, surely there's an answer on the internet. Surely someone on the... We think there's this secret place somewhere in the world where these geniuses are. Maybe there's a mountain. You can climb up the mountain and ask the person three questions and at the end they'll give you the answer. This is what you need to know, that he will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn what it is to carry this yoke. For I am gentle and humble in heart. My goodness, wouldn't that solve a lot of the world's problems? Gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Because at the end of the day, we need to understand ourselves as physical, spiritual beings that have a soul that needs to find rest that is always seeking eternity always seeking an answer always seeking something that we don't contain within ourselves but we have a seed of that which reaches into the eternal and says God reveal yourself to me Romans 8 28 the father is working all of this together for good it says that's why we can be so so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I, I used to sort of hold on to that scripture and say, everything bad that happens, don't worry about it. It'll all work out in the end. Which again, feels like one of those cop-out kind of things that a parent might say, don't worry about it, it'll all work out. Actually, a mother would never say that. A father would say that every day of the week. You, so, you know, the kid comes in crying. What's my first thing? Who hit who? And I don't know, we'll figure it out later. Mum's like, oh, is everybody okay? Here's a Band-Aid. I used to think I was a sucker. Turns out I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm more of a get-over-it guy. I didn't realise. So it's not just every little thing. It's that God's love working through us brings love into the world that brings sense into everything around us. We are walking alongside his plan. And he says there's a rhythm of grace that you can get in step with. And it comes through that humble and gentle heart that Jesus came to show us. And if we could get in step with that, we'd actually bring more of that humility, more of that grace, more of that peace, more of that love, more of that gentleness and humility. Against such things, there is no law, right? No one is, no, no jurisdiction is ever going to write a law against the fruit of the Spirit. And so we bring the fruit of the Spirit into everything that we do, knowing that God will work everything together for good. Understanding that we don't know the beginning from the end. So where are we in history? Not really sure. How do wars get solved? Not really sure. Will there be an end to war? Nah, not until he comes and creates a new heaven and a new earth. But while there's trouble and toil in the souls of men, we also know that he reaches out to us reaches across that chasm from heaven to earth through Jesus Christ and redeems the creation under the creator. So how do you read, excuse me, how do you read the signs? How do you read the writing on the wall? Because this is the thing, right? I'm saying all this stuff and it sounds really fantastic, but it's kind of philosophical and it's a little bit hard to nail down. So how do you get it in sort of plain English? It was Christmas Eve just a few nights ago. And for some reason at about, I think it was at about nine o'clock, the power to a couple of city blocks went out where I live. And there was no power. 
And that was okay, because I found one or two candles. And then we found some glow sticks. And then we lit the house up and it was kind of okay. And we got a text message from the power company, the lights will come on at 3 a.m. And I'm thinking, I've still got to finish my online Christmas shopping and wrap some gifts. We got away with it. At about, I think it was at about a half past 10 or quarter to 11, the power came back on. The guys must have done a good job that day. The power came back on. And as the power came back on, we'd been watching the carols. The carols come on and it's the gospel choir with, with Marsha Hines singing Amazing Grace. And I was like, man, that was a cool timing. That was all right. Amazing Grace is coming out of the tally at me. But with that Amazing Grace sound also came an alarm from across the road. How many people have that neighbor? Yeah, the house alarm neighbor. We love you. We know you've got really important stuff in your house, but you need to learn how to turn that off. This alarm went off. Now, she's a, our neighbor is an, is an elderly lady, and, uh, and the alarm kept going off. And I thought, it's okay. I waited a few minutes, five, six, seven minutes. I don't know how long it had gone on, but it was Christmas Eve, and my children were trying to sleep, and I also wanted them to be asleep. And I knew that Chris, my neighbor down the road, would have walked across and checked on Helen. I knew that he would have done that, so I thought, that's okay. I reckon about 10 minutes later, that sucker's still going off. And it was not a gentle alarm. It was one of those crazy ones from the 80s that scares all the bad guys in masks that are on the TV ads. It's one of those ones. So I go over to the house. I've never actually been into the house. I've just, she's a neighbor that I wave to and, you know, help with the bins every now and again, that sort of thing. And I walked up and Chris is walking around the outside of the property. So, mate, what are you looking for? He goes, I can't find... The, the alarm box, I can't find, she doesn't know where it is, she doesn't know the code, she doesn't know how to turn it off. So he's about to start pulling out fuses, and I'm talking the old school ceramic fuses, that's how old this, this property is, I'm like, dude, you might die, you know, let's not, let's not do that. And so we're walking, and I don't know, five, six, seven minutes later, I went, hang on, that door, as I looked through the foyer, that door just there, and we opened the door, and there's a rack of clothes, and I said, push the clothes aside, and there it was, ah, the box the box with the alarm. And I said, Helen, the box, there it is. We found the box. All you need is the code. <laughs> so she started pressing the same four buttons over and over and over again. None of these buttons did their job. I'm looking through the house. I'm looking on the fridge. I'm looking beside the phone. I'm walking through somebody else's house, kind of eavesdropping, just so I can try and find it. Somebody written this down somewhere because I can't see it in plain English. I find a number on the phone and as I come, uh, a number on the fridge, and as I come out to the foyer, there's two more people in the foyer. The next door neighbors have popped over. <laughs> so now there's four of us with Helen having a bit of a powwow, you know, a street party. And, you know, because there was a doof doof thing going off. And, and, and so uh, we're trying to figure this out. And I said, you know, I've got this number off the fridge. And the dude looked at me and went, that's my number. I'm here. Do you know? No, I don't know. Four of us now. We went to the cellar. We went to the garage. We found everything we could find and nothing said it. And eventually I looked back at the box and scrawled on the side of the box was what looked like letters, except I didn't understand them. And suddenly it dawned on me, this is like, I don't know, 25 minutes later at this point, we are kind of like losing our minds a little, you know, those pressure situations where it's hard to step back and see the forest for the trees. Suddenly I realized this scrawl is not English, but I don't know her nationality. And I said to the neighbor, what is Helen's? He, he, he said, she's Hungarian. And I went, wait a minute. And I got Google Translate, <laughs> held it up 
to the scroll, the writing, and it turns out it was Hungarian numbers. (laughs) And they were the numbers. The writing was right there on the wall, but none of us had a perspective enough. There was five of us, five neighbours. We're slapping high fives. We've just figured out the code to, a, to an alarm system from 1985 that was written in Hungarian. On the, I mean, it was a moment. It was Christmas, so that was, that was enough for me. But none of us had enough perspective to be able to look back, stand back from the writing and figure out what the message actually was. Our role in our faith journey is to understand that the noise going on around us all the time is not always ours to fix. And it's not always within your ability to even fix it. Where do you go when you need to see? Where do you look when you need to see? Who do you ask when you need to see? I looked into the, a, a, a text on, on Ecclesiastes and a bit of an extrapolation, and it said this, the trouble for us is not that life refuses to keep still, but that we see only a fraction of its movement and of its subtle and intricate design. Life doesn't stand still, and we wish it would sometimes, but it's never going to. Instead of frozen perfection, there is a kaleidoscopic movement of innumerable processes, each with its own character and its period of blossoming and ripening, beautiful in its time, yeah, and contributing to the overall masterpiece, which is the work of one creator. So we are like the desperately short-sighted, too close to it to figure it out. We're inching our way along some great tapestry or or fresco in the attempt to take it all in and we see enough to recognize something of its quality but the grand design escapes us for we can never stand back far enough to view it as its creator does whole and entire from the beginning to the end. So where do you look? Who do you look to? How do you look to him to gain that perspective? What will you do when you're under that sort of pressure? What will you do when you're under that sort of pressure? It's a really, really hard thing to kind of understand, but we will all face this kind of pressure at different times. And how we respond will be based on how we have trained ourselves. What will you remember when you are under pressure? Will you remember to go to him? Exodus 13 is, is that scripture where uh, the Lord teaches the, Israel, the, the nation of Israel how to observe Sabbath. And it's something that we are doing a version of here today, coming together under God to celebrate the freedom that he has given us. But it's a, it's a note that's like written on our hand and it's, it's in, in the task, in our hand and our head. It's, it's in, the, in the actions that we give and in the thoughts that are in our mind. That's how we know when we're under pressure. If we go to God, we've trained ourselves well. Where do you look when you need to see? My question to you today is, are you well-seasoned? Because there is a season for everything. Are you well-seasoned or are you just a little bit sour? And that's a bit mean to ask that. That's a little bit mean to ask that. But it's worth asking. 
Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. It goes on like that. And in verse 8, it says, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. A time for peace. And we all wish we could conjure that time a little easier but it's hard to do. Where do you look when you need to see? When you're under pressure, when the noise is around you, what happens? So what's the point of it all anyway? What's the point of it all anyway? The writer of Ecclesiastes actually finishes the book this way. It says, now that all has been heard, have you heard what I've been saying? Here is the conclusion of the matter. And we want more detail than this. We want specific answers to specific questions. But he gives us an overall approach to life. Fear God, keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. Remember that he has made everything, everything, everything beautiful in its time. He has also said eternity in our hearts. You, you can't take anything from what God has done. You can't add anything to it. So here's what I want to encourage you with. As we say goodbye to another season, I want you to be well seasoned. I want you to understand that the pain and the pleasure, everything in between can work together for the good of those who love and serve and are called according to his good purpose. Be well seasoned and my friends, be worth savoring. Be that person. Be that person. Be that person. When I... When, you know the hymn, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all that your hands have made. All that you And we say, how great, how great is our God. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. After all of that, what actually remains? These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love pre-existed the world. Love created the world, and love is redeeming the world. John 1, verse 1. The light, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, he didn't create love. He didn't conjure love. He just is love. It's who our God is. So love pre-existed our world. Love created our world and love will redeem our world. My friends, as you finish this season and begin another one, as you look to him who made the stars and you say, how great, how great is our God. Remember this. These are the three things remain. Your faith. Your faith needs to remain. Where do you look when you need to see? I look to that faith that has anchored me all these years or all these moments if you've just been doing it for a while. Your faith remains. Your hope remains because it's not just that we don't understand. We know that there's a promise that endures. Eternity is set in our hearts. Your faith remains. Your hope remains. And His love will remain. Would you pray? Father God, we thank You for Your greatness. We thank You for Your goodness. We thank you for everything that you have done to bring us to this moment. And Lord, I pray right now that you would be with us as we remember what it is that you have done. We don't know the whole picture and we never will. But Lord, we trust you 
with this story. We trust you with our story. And Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, at the end of everything, when all the noise is gone, when peace, those peaceful moments happen, that we realize that what has carried us through is the three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. And all God's people said, Amen.